Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Open today, if you would, to Matthew 28. Come on, Matthew 28. I am going to talk today about living the life of a disciple. Living the life of a disciple. Uh, This is vital for us to understand as believers because it is the goal of what Jesus came to accomplish in our lives, or as we're going to see from Scripture. Now, even if you've already been uh, in a position to hear about the discipleship teaching before, listen, uh, I guarantee you got to know this. If you are truly at the stage of a disciple, what got you there is what you got to do to stay there. It's not like you become a disciple and just remain one because you once became one. It is something that you have to continue to walk out and thank God we can. I'm going to show you the great awesome blessing of what it means to be a disciple today. And we're going to talk more and more as we go through this series about how to walk that out. One of the most significant things to understanding about this again, it really is the goal of what we are here to do as a believer. It's exactly what Jesus told us here in Matthew chapter 28 about what every single one of us should have as a goal or target for our life. In Matthew 28, if you'll pick it up with me in verse 16, this is some of the last words Jesus is going to speak to his disciples before ascending to heaven. It isn't the last words because, of course, that's over in the book of Acts. But it's right at the tail end of the time that he would be with them and therefore critical to what he was saying to them that they needed to hear. If you'll pick this up with me in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, as they were told. Jesus had appeared to others, told them, Go tell the disciples, go to Galilee, wait for me. They went to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them, where they had spent time with him before. 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Isn't this interesting? But some doubted. Some doubted. They saw Jesus standing there resurrected in glory, and yet some still doubted whether it was really him or not. Verse 18, Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he already had all of the authority of heaven. Who had all the authority here on earth? Satan did. He got it from Adam in the fall. Very clearly became what the Bible calls the God of this world. But what did Jesus do when he was resurrected from the dead? He took it back. He took that authority back. So he decrees now, both all authority, both in heaven and on earth, has now been given to him. Verse 19, what does he tell us to do then? Go therefore. Go therefore. You've been given authority by Jesus, authorized with the very ability of God to go therefore and do what? Tell me. Make disciples of what? All nations. That's just all different ethnic groups. Doesn't matter their background. Doesn't matter where they've been from. Doesn't matter. He wants us to do what? Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Is that water baptism, Pastor? Well, included, but that's actually not the direct reference to what he was referring to. We're going to touch on that in just a moment. Verse 20. Also doing what? Teaching them to do what? Observe some of the things that I commanded. How many? All things. Teaching them to do what? Observe all things that I've what? That not an option that I've commanded you. 
And notice, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So in other words, I'll be with you to accomplish this. I'll be with you to carry this out. Now, I want to point out a couple of things real quick, and then I want to show you a couple of key things here. Verse 19, he tells every single believer on the planet to go and do what? Make disciples. So what's the goal for anybody on the planet to be able to connect with God and walk with God, become a disciple? The goal is not to just be born again. If that was the goal, he would have said, go and get everybody born again. And for those that would like to become a disciple, okay, make them disciples. He didn't say that. He said, go make disciples. It's a given that to make a disciple, what's the first thing you got to do? You got to get them born again. Can't make a disciple out of somebody, not not of Jesus, without being what? Born again. If you don't know this, there are four primary growth stages for the believer. Four growth stages. I'm not going to touch on them today. I'll touch on them next Wednesday. But I want to just get them in here real quick. What are the four growth stages of a believer? So similar to like in the natural aspect of life, we see all the stuff of what's in the natural reflecting what's true of the spiritual because guess where everything in the natural came from? Came out of the spirit realm. Even that which is not good came out of the spirit realm. That just came from where? Satan. But that which is of God came out of the spirit realm from God. So in the natural, you have four growth stages in the basic person, uh, individual's life. Obviously, you have a baby stage. Then you have a child through pre-adult stage. Then you have a young adult stage. And then you have the adult stage. Well, let's talk about this as it relates to a believer. So the believers we're going to see on Wednesday night has four growth stages. One, convert. Say convert. So the very first thing Jesus told people as it relates to them stepping into this very walk of discipleship is he says you must be converted or become a convert. And that just simply means that you accept Jesus as your Lord and you start doing what? Converting. You convert from how you used to live to how God now wants you to live, what he provided for you to live. God did not desire for you to live a life still filled with stress, worry, and fear, disease, sickness, and doubt, and defeat. No, he made you more than a conqueror. So he says, once you're born again, you are now going to a stage of conversion. Guess what was one of the first things that got converted in my walk with God? My mouth. My words. All of a sudden, words I used to speak freely that were obviously not real nice to hear started bothering me. And so what you begin to do is you go through a conversion stage, recognizing aspects of change of how you used to live to how you now live. For me, I wasn't a churchgoer. So part of what was a conversion part of my life was I knew, obviously, to get to know God, I got to find a church, I thought. I really needed a pastor, didn't know that, but I need to find a church. So guess what became a new part of my lifestyle? Going to church. Guess what also became a new part of my lifestyle? Reading the Bible, hearing the word preached. So this is all a part of conversion. I'm going through an old aspect, excuse me, I'm converting away from an old aspect of lifestyle to a new way of lifestyle. Now as I'm doing that, and I'm sitting under the teaching of the word as I've gone through these basic steps of conversion, what do I become secondly if I start listening to the books of Romans? Through Revelation, we probably primarily say Romans to Jude, but Revelation has some uh, information there for us as well, letters written to the churches. What is Romans to Revelation? Anybody know? Letters to the church. Who would that be? You. You. Those letters are written to you. Those letters are for you to understand who you are, what you now have in Christ, and what God says you can do in Christ. 
The Gospels don't get included in that? Well, we have instruction in the Gospels, no doubt. But those are the Gospels of which we understand about Jesus, his lifestyle, obviously what he did while he was here on the earth. Beginning in Romans, though, these are now known not as the Gospels, as the Epistles, which is a letter. Just simply means a letter. An epistle is a letter. So from Romans to Revelation, as we start getting taught the word of God from anointed pastors, God has a pastor for us anointed to teach us. It's called a doxa gift in the Greek, Ephesians 4. I gave you a doxa gift for your life, Jesus said, to help you be equipped, to help you grow up, to help you be no longer immature believers, but to grow into maturity. So how do I do that? That's why we teach so much from the New Testament here. That doesn't mean we don't use the Old Testament. We do. We're supposed to know the whole Bible. But I'm just helping you understand those letters help me begin to learn of those letters to the church, how I've now been given the ability to walk in this life. I'm not going to do it by my strength and ability. I'm going to yield myself to what Jesus did, get to know who I am, renew my mind to that, and see it transform my life. Am I going to get any good amens today? I don't know what's sitting on this church, but it needs to be lifted right now in Jesus' name. You need to get a little more excited about the Word of God today. So understand this. I'm not saying that to try to make you do something. I'm just saying to get you awake. Listen, being a a convert's good. Praise God, I'm born again. But what do I do when I become the second stage? An epistle. An epistle. Guess what I start looking like? Those letters. I start looking like Romans. I start looking like Corinthians. Come on, I start looking like Galatians. I start looking like Ephesians. I start looking like all these letters written in the New Testament that talk about who I am. I start looking like that. And Paul literally writing to multiple churches said, as you are now applying what we're writing to you, you have become our living epistle. You become our living letters. You're living out what we've taught you and now people can read our letters through you. They can now actually read those very letters by looking at your lifestyle. Doesn't mean that others aren't supposed to go read those letters. They are. But that's why we as epistles begin to become a living letter. So we've gone beyond just basic conversion stage, conversion stage of walking in what we know, the basics of what we should do as a Christian. We're now living out parts of what we now understand and know who we've been made to be. Amen. But there's a third stage, and this is what Jesus said the target was. An epistle, if they stay committed to the word and they find the shepherd God has for their life and they get submissive to that shepherd and the word he teaches and obviously to God and really develops and grows himself spiritually, 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 spiritually. Guess what you become? A disciple. A disciple is one disciplined, governed more by their spirit than anything else, which is how we're supposed to live because that's how Jesus lived. So a disciple isn't somebody who just lives up to a bunch of stuff externally. No, they're governed by their spirit man. And that's a key that you and I are supposed to become. We're supposed to become disciples. And I'm going to explain this further in the definition in just a minute. I'm just walking through the stages of growth. You know, there are Christians that will never make it to discipleship stage. Sad to say. Why? Their choice. They chose not to. Not because they couldn't. Guess what happens when Jesus stated these words, go make disciples? Guess what happens? All the world has the ability to become what? A disciple. He would never tell me and you, point one, he would never tell me and you to go make disciples if you couldn't become one and you couldn't make disciples. Your desire, if it is not now, it should become today. Your desire in this life is to become a disciple of Jesus. Period. Because that's what he wanted us to go make. Well, guess what we need to be? Disciples. Disciples. He wants us to be a disciple of his because, as we're going to see in a minute, a disciple's not above his teacher. You ready? You ready? But he's just like him. He's just like him. That don't excite you? 
How many want to be just like Jesus? Got to become a disciple. Got to develop to that spiritual maturity of a disciple. So a disciple, uh, uh, an epistle, even though they're starting to live out the letters, guess what you still, still got to do with an epistle once in a while? You got to keep after them to understand giving. You got to tell them about getting to church. You got to tell them about dealing with the flesh. Come on. You got to keep, keep maturing. Got to keep coming. You need to come to prayer. You need to develop. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You need to build yourself up spirit. You need these things. So you got to keep telling this. But the point they become a disciple, guess what you don't ever have to do anymore? Wet nurse them. That's right. You don't have to. So it's kind of like a young adult. A young adult, if trained properly and raised properly, should now be able to do what? You shouldn't have diapers on them anymore. That's right. They should be able to feed themselves. I'm going to get any good amens. They should be able to get around on their own. They should be able to know right from wrong. They should know these things. So as a disciple, we don't need somebody to oversee us over, over uh, every single day, watching what we do, making sure we're doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. Why? We're disciplined. We're spirit-governed. We know how to hear from God. I said we know how to hear from God. We don't need to look to anybody else. We look to God. He lives in me. I know how to hear from Him. I know how to be led by Him. I know how the Holy Spirit directs me in decisions I make. That's a disciple. That's a disciple. Now, the fourth stage is one that obviously is critical to some people as it relates to their ultimate place in God, and it's called ministry. Ministry. That means where God's ultimately called you to serve in the body. That doesn't just mean fivefold. That means your ultimate place in the body of Christ of what God gifted you to do as a part of the body. Amen? But if you're not a disciple, guess what you're not going to do? Ministry. You know why? You won't stay faithful. I said you won't stay faithful. You won't stay faithful to what you're supposed to do. You won't stay faithful to what your commitment is. Right. See, why do we have, we're going over them, you know, first of this year again, or to hand them out to the leaders. Why do we have requirement forms? Because we have to constantly remind baby disciples or young disciples or those who aren't totally disciplined yet, or yet still maybe in the epistle stage, what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. Remember, this is what you committed to. Remember, this is what you're supposed to fulfill as a part of the body of Christ in the context of what you do in serving. So this is constant oversight of what we need to do in relationship to people and what their responsibilities are. For a disciple, guess what it is? It's just a refresher course. They're already doing it. I said they're already doing it. It's just a refresher course. Being reminded of stuff. Maybe they might need to brush up on a little bit. Not like they're not doing it, but might need to do a little better job. Can I get a better Amen. But ministry, man, that's where now you're flowing and going in the things of what God's called you to do and to carry out what he's assigned for you as a believer. So number one point here I want to make, not like a reference you need to write down, but in verse 19, he would have never told us to go make disciples if we couldn't do it. Would have never told us that. But I will give you a point number one about making disciples in verse 19. What did he say to do? You go and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, it would include aspects of what we know of water baptism, but that's not the direct reference here. So I like one translation brings the better understanding of the Greek language out here. It means immerse them in the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are you going to make a disciple? You've got to immerse them in the reality of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How are you going to be a disciple without being immersed into the reality of knowing the Father, knowing the Son, and knowing the Holy Spirit. You're not. You're not. Think about how sadly many churches will never teach what you're about to hear in this series. Never. They will never understand immersion in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Church to them is nothing more than coming here in a sermon and just getting a little something of a, what I need to do or what I probably don't need to do and going about their day. But that's not how God wanted you to live. He wants you to be immersed in a relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. 
I won't bring up the name. It's not needed to. But there's even aspects of man-made religion that will tell you not even to read your Bible. You trust in the person that you go hear from at their church. No, you're supposed to live in that Bible. That Bible's made available for you to hear from God. Amen. Grow in the things of God. But see, religion wants to control what you do through an individual. I don't want to do that. I don't want to control you, nor could I. But the truth is, you and I got to realize there's only one person that needs to be in control of my life. God. But how's God going to be in control of my life? You ready? I got to be immersed in the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because they all have a part to play in my life. They all do. And a disciple knows this. A disciple gets immersed in relationship with the Father as a son or daughter. A disciple gets immersed in the relationship with Jesus as the Lord of their life. A disciple gets immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit, yielded to Him, empowered by Him. Listen, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it should have happened right after you got born again. And sadly, they didn't give you an opportunity to do that. You're missing out on the most powerful thing God has available to you to make you a disciple and grow you up and make you stronger spiritually. But I'm going to explain something real quick about discipleship, okay? Don't get mad at me because I'm using an old example. It just came to mind, and it was years ago when I was very young. I mean, remember Karate Kid? Remember Karate Kid? Yes. <laughs> Didn't think I could do it, did you? I ain't doing it on a pole. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's part of the movie. So, so here you got a young boy who's being taken advantage of by life. Right? Got a bully in school that's giving him a hard time. Other guys giving him a hard time. Why? He's not very big. Boy, could I relate, man. I mean, I was as skinny as he was, you know, is that movie, but even taller. I was just like a rail. Well, obviously, that's not a fun way to live. Guess what's not a fun way to live as a believer? Being taken advantage of by Satan. Being overcome by Satan. So you know what? He says, I don't like this. I'm going to find somebody to help me. So he thinks about relationship to what he could do to help protect himself. I'm going to take up martial arts. So he initially starts going to this first class of where these other guys in his school went. But the guy that was overseeing the class, obviously kind of a not so good of a guy. I don't want to call him an idiot, but he's just not really caring about people, right? He's a, he's a braggart. and He's all about, you know, his certain students and all that. So that didn't work out too good. So now he's depressed again because he's like, I got nobody to teach me. And then he comes across Mr. Miyagi. And when he finds Mr. Miyagi, guess what he finds out? I found somebody who knows this better than he does. I know somebody who has proven this through his lifestyle. And you can't hurt this guy because this guy knows how to protect himself. Right? So get, listen carefully. So don't, don't get lost in my explanation. So what does now the karate kid want to do? I want to become like Mr. Miyagi. I want to be like him. But to be like him, guess what I got to do? I got to be accepted by him. And I got to spend a lot of time with him. Right? And Mr. Miyagi does what? He agrees to help him. And because he agrees to help him, he says, come over to my house tomorrow. So he comes over the first day. And what does he do? See that paintbrush right there? Yep. See that very can of paint right there? Yep. Come here. So he picks it up. He takes it. He walks him out by the fence. He stands him by a fence. And he says, now watch this. And he takes the brush and he goes up and he goes down. Remember this? Right? Paint the fence. Paint the fence. That's what you do. Hands him the brush. He looks at him like, are you nuts? I'm here to learn how to defend myself. I'm making a valuable point most of you are going to miss if you don't pay attention. I don't need, I don't need to know how to paint a fence. I need to know how to defend myself. You and I need to get on a mat. You need to show me all this stuff and all these kind of things, et cetera, et cetera. He said, no, just paint the fence. Paint the fence. He's thinking, well, okay, so because the old man's helping me out, why, why could I not help him out, right? So he spends hours out there, remember? 
hours out there painting the fence. Till he gets that whole fence done. I don't remember it took him days. I don't remember. But till he gets the whole fence done, he has to keep doing what every day? Paint the fence. Same motion. Same motion. Right? Can't, like he started doing it a different way. No, 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 no. No, this is how you do it. Paint the fence. Just like this, right? Paint the fence. Then switch hands and do it with your hand. Paint the fence. Right? right. Yes, no, maybe. Yeah. So he gets the fence done. Now what does he do? Right? Now he shows up one of the other days after that and he says, come here, come here, come here. And he takes him over and he gets him some wax for his car and he gets him a little buffer and he takes him over to his car and he says, watch, watch. And he goes like this. He goes, he goes wax on, wax off. So you have a rag here, and you have a buffer. You put the wax on, and you take the wax off. He's like, what? Wax on. Wax. You do. You do. Wax on. Wax on. So he started doing it. He said, yeah, wax on, wax off. He said, I don't get it. I want to learn how to protect myself. I want to know how to be able to protect. I want to know this stuff that you know. He said, wax the car. Wax on, wax off. See you later. And he walks off. Isn't that what he did? Right? How I many you know? When the time came for him to now be trained at a higher level to apply these actual moves that he learned and made actually a part of his routine, it was so much easier for him to learn. Let me help you something, folks. The reason a lot of people don't become disciples is because they don't understand why pastors teaching on this. They don't understand why pastors telling us to do this. Some of you missed my point. I don't understand why he's telling me to do this this way. Why do I have to do this? I want to do it this way. I want to be a husband the way I want. I want to be a wife the way I want. I want to raise my kids the way I want. I want to, I want, I want, I want to. You want to be a disciple? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Guess what? You're going to be challenged to do things that you're not going to understand. You're not going to see how this works in relationship to your life as far as a disciple goes. But if you'll obey and do what the word says, guess what? There'll come a time you'll say, wow, now I get it. How many ever had that aha moment? Oh, now I get it. Now I see. Praise God. But see, what most people don't understand is, is that spiritual things are even more difficult to understand at times. Right? I'm going to tell you one of the most difficult things to get people to do. Come pray. And to pray for an hour in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's just a waste of time. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know praying the Holy Spirit was a waste of time. If it really was a waste of time, we certainly wouldn't be asking you to do it. Most Christians seem to think it is because rarely does anybody in the context of the body of Christ who is even spirit-filled spend an hour or more in prayer in the Holy Spirit. But the greatest way, the, the easiest, quickest way to build yourself up spiritually is praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't feel like anything's happening. Wax on, wax off, paint the fence. Pray in the Spirit. I don't feel like anything's happened. Pray in the Spirit. Amen. What are you doing? You're building yourself up. You won't notice it right away. I said, you won't notice it right away. But if you keep painting the fence, come on. If you keep waxing on, waxing off, guess what's going to happen? You're going to wake up one day to realize, man, I am so much stronger spiritually. I would have normally given in to that. I would have easily been overtaken by that. See, it ain't, spiritual things aren't something you feel. Spiritual things are within you. And your obedience to do what the Bible says will help you become stronger. So, first of all, he tells us to make you a disciple. What do we got to do? Get you immersed in the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Relationship with the Father. Come on. Relationship with the Lord of your life, Jesus the Son. And also yielding to the Holy Spirit. Second thing he told them to do, verse 28. Teaching them. Say teaching. Teaching. Say teaching. teaching. Teaching them to do what? Observe. Observe all things. What does that mean? Just look at them? See that they're there? No, the word observe here means to obey. 
God doesn't just want you to observe what the Bible says. Guess what he wants you to do? Obey it. What did he say that he wants you to do? He wants you to teach them all things that I have what? Commanded you. Commanded you. What we're going to go through is everything Jesus commanded that is necessary to be a disciple. I'm going to teach you about it. I'm going to teach you all about it. Teach you what the Bible says about it. Teach you how the Bible says you do it. Well, guess what? My responsibility is to teach you that. I can't get you to live it out. But if you want to become a disciple, guess what you got to do? You got to be taught all the things that Jesus commanded. And for it to work, what do you have to do? You have to observe or obey it. Obey it. Teach them to observe or obey all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Go to Luke chapter 6. If you want your marriage to be what God wants it to be, guess what you're going to have to learn to do? Do what the Bible says. It's not just as it relates to things in the natural, what you think of about being a husband or wife. It's not just the actual actions that you take on a daily basis in that relationship as a husband and wife. The thing you can hardly ever get anybody to do in marriage is do the spiritual work. Can't hardly anybody get anybody to do the spiritual work. I, I guarantee it. One of the biggest things you have available to you as a believer, most powerful things you have available to you as a believer, to change circumstances in your life, I understand if they're unwilling to truly walk with God and walk out what God has, God can't even force them to do it. But you're not responsible for what somebody else does. You're responsible for what you do. My question is, how much time have you really devoted to prayer? To pray for your marriage. Pray for your spouse. Oh, I've prayed, Pastor. Really? Yeah, Lord, you need to change it. Boy, you better deal with them. You better fix them. That ain't a biblical prayer. There ain't no place in the Bible that says pray that God change them. Guess who needs changing? As much as they do, guess who needs changing? And guess what you can't do? You can't work out their salvation. What do you need to do? How many husbands and wives really devote themselves to prayer to hear from God? God, what do I need to change? What do I need to fix? Hello? What do I need to do differently? And intercede for their family to believe God to touch their hearts and help them. Most won't do that. Most won't do the spiritual work when it comes to being a believer. But guess what the disciples doing? What Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Spiritual work. What did it do? It affected what he did in the natural. Remember what he said? I don't do anything except what I see the Father doing. How did he see that? Spiritually. I don't say anything except what I hear the Father saying. Well, everything Jesus said in John 6, you know what he said? The words I speak to you, guess what they are? They're not natural words. They're not just carnal out of my head words. He said, the words I speak to you, guess what they are? They're spirit and they're life. Guess what, what happened if you started speaking words of your, out of the spirit, of, of words that are of spirit and of life? Oh, man, change your life. Change how you view things. Change your home. Come on, change your workplace. Change your circumstances. God's word doesn't return to him void. But it is so difficult to get Christians to do spiritual work, which you are a spirit being. Religion wants you to look at it from an external purpose only, and therefore you're bound by an aspect of an act or what you do as a religious exercise. There's no change in relationship to the inward man dominating and changing the outward man. Anytime you try to change yourself from the outside in, that's religion. That's religion. Relationship with God changes you from the inside out. I'm a spirit. You're a spirit. That's the guy that needs to dominate. That's the guy that needs to control my decisions, what I say, what I do, where I go, how I respond to people. If I respond to the people out of my spirit, you'd save yourself a lot of arguments. You'd save yourself a lot of hassle. 
Luke chapter 6, I'll move on since Kathy's excited about my message. Glad she's in the front row today. Luke 6, verse 40, what a powerful truth, what a powerful truth. Jesus said, a disciple is not what? Above his teacher. He won't rise above his teacher. Underline it though, listen, but everyone who is what? Perfectly trained. Perfectly trained will be what? What will he be? Think about that statement. What did he call us to be? Disciples of his. What if I'm perfectly trained as a disciple of Jesus? Guess what I'll do? I'll become like Jesus. I'll think like Jesus. I'll talk like Jesus. When I look at situations in the world, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, guess what I see? Not what the old man saw. I see what Jesus sees. All of a sudden, everything looks different. Life takes on a whole new view. Because now I'm seeing things through the eyes of God. Now I'm seeing things through the eyes of Jesus. Amen? And a disciple is not above his teacher, but if he's perfectly trained, he will be what? Like his teacher. Now, this simply means to be perfectly trained means to be completely equipped and fully trained. Completely equipped and fully trained. How do we get completely equipped and fully trained as a believer? Well, first of all, you got to make church because that's where it starts. You're being taught what Jesus commanded us as believers to walk out and to live out. If you're not going to show up and get that, you're going to miss out on becoming a disciple because you're not receiving the teaching that was necessary to make that happen. Well, Jesus didn't spend that much time teaching his disciples. He spent time teaching them every day, every single day. So realize that if we're not under the teaching of the word, we're going to miss out on what God wants to do to equip us to be just like Jesus. Amen? Number two, understand also the training aspect. More than just equipping, there's also training that has to be done. He who is completely, this is powerful, completely equipped but yet also fully trained. That's the word perfectly trained. He who has done so is going to be what? Like his master. So part of what we also have to learn is we have to learn training. Meaning what? We give you opportunity to serve. We give you opportunity to do things. We give you opportunity to get connected with stuff we do, even outreach stuff we do, or even things within the church, etc. As well as teaching you things about how to go put into practice in your life. And if you begin to take those for real, have a part of your life, wax on, wax off, paint the fence, guess what? You start training. And as you start training, guess what happens? You become equipped. As you become equipped, you become what? Like Jesus. Now, I want to explain something really careful here. I want to touch on the word disciple really for a significant amount of time here for just a minute. The word disciple is significant to understand because to be a disciple here, verse 40, or what we read in Matthew 28 or any part of the Bible, the, the word disciple, by the way, is referenced over 270 times in your Bible. 273 in the New Testament. One time in the old. Because you couldn't be a disciple of Jesus until Jesus came. Couldn't be a disciple of Jesus until he had died and paid the price for you to be a disciple. I think God's serious about this discipleship thing. Over 270 times referenced in the New Testament. So let's understand what a disciple is. What does the word disciple mean? The easiest way to find out the heart from the Bible of what the word disciple means, even though the New Testament was written in Greek, there's, an, there's, a, there's a Hebrew word for, for disciple. It's Talmud. Talmud. Now, I just want to get you to get the definition of it. Here's what it refers to. The, current, the term of Talmud referring to disciple stresses, get this, it stresses the relationship The relationship between master and student. What's the focus? Relationship. 
It's not just about doing what they are doing. I am, I'm not going to be able to do what they do without what? A close relationship. Without a close relationship, that ain't going to happen. Right? Karate kid without having a close relationship with Mr. Miyagi going to his house all the time, being around him all the time, he's not going to be able to be that disciple and become like his master. You are not going to be able to come like Jesus without a close relationship with Jesus. If your relationship is lacking, you're already hurting in the context of trying to become a disciple. Because the term disciple stresses the relationship between master and student, and it stresses that one must give up their life to become a disciple. Do you get that? One must give up their life to become a disciple. What do you mean give up my life to become a disciple? Well, so it's back to what we talked about with the karate kid. So the karate kid could say, I don't want to do it this way. If you don't want to do it this way, guess what you're saying? I'm unwilling to give up my life. I'm unwilling to give up my life. Well, I don't want to go to church. Well, I don't want to spend time in the Bible. Well, I don't want to pray. Then you're not going to become a disciple of Jesus. You're, un you're unwilling to give up your life to do it the way Jesus said. You're not going to become a disciple the way you think. You're going to become a disciple the way Jesus said it works. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. So I got to be willing to do what? Give up my life. I got to be willing to give up what I think about how I'm to live my life to be able to do what? To be able to have relationship with this master who can train me so I can become like him. So the first context of being a disciple, pupil, student, whatever you want to call it of anybody, is there has to be a relationship. There has to be a relationship. I had a desire after I actually got on my first bull at the age of 13 to become a professional bull rider. Problem was, for the next four and a half years of my life, I had nobody that was any good around me to help me learn how to become one. But I sure wanted to be a good bull. I wanted to be the best I could be at it. But guess what I didn't have? Anybody to train me. Had the, the, the guys that I hung out with, we were the blind leading the blind. Oh, we were trying to disciple each other, but we were doing it wrong because none of us knew what we were doing. And so we were all, all helping each other actually be worse than what we were before because none of us knew what we were doing. And man, I so badly wanted to have a connection with somebody that was good at this that could help me. And lo and behold, here came an opportunity through a friend that my brother knew of a relationship with a guy my age that was actually incredible in the junior rodeo world at Bareback, Saddle Bronx, and bull riding. And he was really good at it. Won many buckles, won many, many awards, et cetera, et cetera. So we started building relationship. What is the key to discipleship? Relationship. Without spending time together, you're not going to develop as a disciple of Jesus. If you don't spend time with Jesus, you're not going to develop as a disciple of Jesus. So we started hanging out. We started doing all kinds of stuff together. Not just uh, context of rodeo world. We would go out and do different things, going to movies, hanging out with other friends, etc. Every time he went somewhere, guess where I wanted to be? Where he was. Why? Wanted to learn from him. Wanted to get to know him. We became good friends. As we became good friends, he began to show me what he knew. He began to help me understand what he knew. In the process of time, I had others who would try to convince me to go to a bull riding school when I was younger, but I kept thinking back in my day, and that was 250 bucks. Now, that was a lot of money at my age of, of you know, 16, 17 in my day. I mean, I kept thinking, that's a lot of entry fees because you got to pay entry fee to go to rodeo. I miss a lot of rodeos if I go to a school. Look at all the rodeos I'll miss. I'd have been far better off, though, far better off. Well, he knew that. He knew that. What does a disciple have to do? Lay down your life. Lay down your life. He kept telling me, I am going back to tune up 
at a bull riding school I've been to before. I thought, wow, you don't need to go. But you know what a disciple knows? I got to constantly stay under that tutelage. I got to constantly be trained. He said, man, I'm going to a school that I've been to before. Guy's name is Jerome Robinson. Back in my day, he was called Mr. Consistency. At that time, 10 qualifications in the bull riding in the NFR. That's, that was unheard of at the time. That many qualifications in the bull ride. And some, some have broken that now. But he was known as Mr. Consistency. He said, I'm going to this guy's school in a little town up in the middle of nowhere in Ignacio, Colorado. He's got a school coming up. Here's what it costs. He said, you know what? You need to go to that school. Now, I have a choice. I can keep doing things the way I want to. But if I want to become like him, I'm going to do what he says. You listening? I said, he knows more than I do. I'm going to save up the money and I'm going to go to that school. That school turned me around. That school was where all of a sudden I began to learn from a professional as well as from him things I was doing wrong and correct them. And within a year, I was the runner-up for the Southwest Rodeo Association, amateur association for all of Arizona, all of New Mexico. I went from a nobody who couldn't ride a bull to the following year at the end of the year going to my first finals with, by the way, as I told you, two cracked ribs and a broken rib because I got on a bull before that weekend and got stepped on, but I went anyway. And guess what? I wound up the runner-up. That's second place in all of Arizona, New Mexico. One year's time. One year's time. Guess what I did? Guess what I did? I gave up my life and I became like the one that was teaching me. I became like the one that was showing me how to do this. You listening? And part of that was going to a bull riding school. I'm going to tell you what, folks, if you're not willing to give up how you're living your life, you're not going to become a disciple of Jesus. Because Jesus, to become a disciple of his, he's going to challenge you to change things about your life. So again, the term disciple stresses both the relationship between the master and the student, and therefore the student giving up their life for the relationship of the master. If you're not going to make that relationship with Jesus a priority, if you're not going to make the things of what Jesus teaches you about being a disciple a priority, unfortunately, you won't become a disciple of Jesus. Well, I'm just happy to be where I am. Okay. But when the chicken, you know, when the, when the uh, excuse me, when the roosters, when the, when the, I'll get it right, when the coyote strikes the chicken coop, guess what? Don't be crying out to God because you didn't have a chance to get prepared because he did want to prepare you. What if I'm walking like Jesus? You're ready for anything that comes. I said, you're ready for anything that comes. You know, Brother Wigglesworth, who was a great man of faith, said, if you're going to wait to learn how to walk in and develop your faith when you need it, you're too late. You're too late. So as a disciple of Jesus, we got to be willing to do what? Have a relationship with him as a priority every day. Are you listening? Every day. And we got to do what? Give up our life. So just to start that relationship, guess what you got to do? For me to have relationship, go with me for a moment to Matthew 16. For me to have relationship with this guy, Randy Krause was his name. Uh, for me to have relationship with him, guess what I had to do? I had to give up other things I was doing. I couldn't keep going and hanging out with the friends I was hanging out with and develop a relationship with him and learn from him. Couldn't do it. I had to get rid of some of those friends. You listening? So I could develop a friendship with him and learn from him. Some of you need to get rid of some of the other things in your life that's hindering you in your relationship with God. Because if you're not developing that relationship, you're missing out on the, on the blessing and the privilege to be a disciple. According to Luke 6.40, what will a disciple do? Become like their teacher. How many want to be like Jesus? How many want to live like Jesus? If you're living like Jesus, what are you walking in? Perfect peace. What are you walking in? Joy. You're not depressed and down and out. Stuff don't overtake you. Things don't, don't rattle your cage. 
No, you look at him and say, nah, just another opportunity for my God to prove how good he is. I said, just another opportunity for my God to prove how big he is. I'm just wondering when y'all going to wake up today. Because a disciple wakes up every day saying, praise God, another day to serve the Lord. Another day to walk in the things of God. Another day to show how good my God is. Some of you waking up like, man, I want to go back to bed. I want to get up today. Not what I got to face. Jesus never said that. You listening? Jesus was up before most of us ever even thought about waking up. Oh, yeah. The Bible says long before that it was day, he would get up and go spend time with the Father. So I'm just here to tell you, folks, you have a choice. If you walk as a disciple, guess what? You walk like Jesus. You walk like Jesus. You walk in victory, and you walk in the things of God. Your choice. So now we're going to get down to the crux of what I want to share with you in closing this morning about what living the life of a disciple is like. Matthew 16, verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, this is before Jesus went to the cross, he's preparing, he's trying to prepare his disciples for what's about to happen. He begins to tell them about the Son of God, Son of Man, he would say, is going to have to die three days later, be raised from the dead. That went over their head every time he said it. They didn't get it. But he's trying to prepare them for this. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So he's already trying to explain all this to them. He's trying to show them. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to do what? What did he do? Began to rebuke him saying, far be it from from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter. Now, I'll guarantee you what. Peter was already proving that he was already at a point of developing into that discipleship stage. You want to know why? Guess what you can do with a disciple? Openly rebuke them. And guess what a disciple won't do? They won't bail on you. They won't run. You know, the Bible says rebuke a scorner and they'll mock you. But rebuke a a righteous man and they'll thank you. You want to know whether somebody truly wants to receive from you or not? Rebuke them. Rebuke them. If they scorn you, if they make little of you, well, you just know what you're talking about, whatever, guess what? I guarantee you what, you found somebody you couldn't help. Rebuke means you show them a, a true wrong in their life and reveal it. This needs to be corrected. This needs to be fixed. Well, Peter's talking out of his ear here. He's not talking out of his heart. Peter was the very one that heard from the Father and said at one time, remember, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ. Well, he ain't hearing from the Lord now. I said, he ain't hearing from the Lord now. He says in verse 22, not going to happen. You're not going to die. You're not, ain't, this ain't going to happen. Verse 23, so notice what Jesus did. He turned and said to Peter. Who did he say this to? Peter. Now imagine you standing there. Put your name in the, in the mix. All right? So imagine he turns to Daryl and says this. <clears throat> notice, get behind me, Satan. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Was he calling Peter Satan? No. What was he explaining? You're being influenced by the wrong spirit, boy. You're being influenced by the wrong spirit. Satan right now is trying to use you because he knows he's trying to stop me from doing what the Father has called for me to do. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of what? God, but the things of what? If all you are is mindful of the things of men, you'll never walk as a disciple of Jesus. You want to know what the Greek language says here? You ready? You ready? Get out of my way, Peter. You ready? You're blurring my vision. You're blurring my vision. You're speaking contrary to God's word and what God said I'm to do. That's blurring. You're trying to blur my vision. That's why he said, get behind me. Get out of my sight. 
Because you're not going to blur my vision of what God's called me to do. A disciple gets smart enough to know when something comes at them that is clearly not God, that is contrary to what God says, you know what they do? They don't put up with it. They don't put up with it. You know what they say? Get behind me. If they got friends in their life that keep blurring their vision, you know what they do? I get new friends. You're not going to blur my vision. You're not going to keep me walking from walking out what God has for my life. That's why the Bible says choose your friends carefully. How about your Facebook friends, folks? Have you chosen them carefully on social media? Because if you haven't and you're listening to all their stuff, they can be blurring your vision. So he says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. 24. Then Jesus looks to all of his disciples at that very same moment. At that very same moment, he now looks to all the disciples. Watch this. If anyone desires to do what? Come after me. Let him what? Deny himself. And do what? Take up his cross and follow me. Now, the phrase here, come after me. If you look that up in the Greek, here's what it says. Anyone who desires to become my disciple. Anyone who desires to become my disciple. Let him what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and therefore do what? Become like me. Just become like me. Walk out the same kind of life that I have available for you to walk out. How many would like to do that? How many would like to walk in the light of what Jesus himself makes available to us as a disciple of Jesus? So I'm going to give you four things in closing this morning. We'll pick this back up Wednesday night because of our prayer service tonight. But I'm going to give you four things that he just touched on right here in these scriptures that you and I need to understand to be a disciple. Okay? What is our responsibility to be a disciple? Number one, you got a desire. Listen to me. Listen carefully. You got a desire to want to be like Jesus. That's the desire. Notice he didn't say, if anyone desires relationship with me, that's a given. If anybody desires what? To come after me. Meaning what? Do what I did. Live the kind of life that I've lived. Be my disciple. Learn from me. Walk out the same kind of life. So let me go back to my example. When I met Randy Krause, my first desire wasn't to know him as a friend. My first desire was to learn what he could teach me of what I wanted to know. Why? I wanted to be able to do what he did. What's your first desire got to be? I got to want to do what Jesus did. If you don't have a desire to do what Jesus did, you'll never become a disciple. You'll never become a disciple. If I didn't have a desire, you listening to me? I said, you listening to me? If I didn't have a desire, folks, to literally become a bull rider, professional bull rider, I would have never sought out the relationship. You understand that? If you don't desire to live like Jesus, you'll never seek out that relationship. You never will. But if you want to be like Jesus, his words, if you desire to come after me, if you desire to be my disciple, if you desire to be trained by me, live the life that I've lived. Desire means a willingness. A willingness. Guess what that means? God doesn't make you. God doesn't make you. The word for desire here means willing. I'm willing. I want to. I want to do this. You got to have the want to. I have a question for you in 2024. What's your want to? Do you really want to talk like Jesus? Do you really want to do the works Jesus did? Doesn't seem like a lot of Christians do because not many are. But you can. I said you can. Why? Disciple's not above his teacher. But he'll be just like his teacher. What's the first thing I've got to have, Pastor? Number one, you've got to have the want to. You've got to have the desire to. So 
You know, back to my example I've used in the rodeo world, man, I guarantee you, if you're going to ride bulls or pretty much anything of rough stock as it relates to the rodeo world, I relate to it a lot because that's what I came out of. Sorry if it bores you. But if you want to be in, in relationship, invent, in, entered in any aspect of rough stock, bareback, saddle bronc, or bull riding, here's the phrase that's been used for years. It's the absolute truth. It's not a matter of if you get hurt. You're going to get hurt. It's a matter of when and how bad. You're not going to ride bulls and not get hurt. You're not going to take on an 1,800-pound bull time after time after time and him not win some of those battles. You listening? You're not going to take on a 1,500-pound horse that's trying to throw you off and wants to hurt you in the worst way and not obviously have a time you're going to get hurt. In the context of the saddle broncs and bull riding, uh, saddle broncs and barebacks, saddle bronc and bareback horses are crazy. They're nuts. Bulls aren't. They know what they're doing. They're smart. Bucking horses have no idea. I'm serious. They're crazy. I've watched this so many times at rodeos. I've watched bucking horses run right into a, a like with the rider still on them, right into the fence. Like it's not even there. Wham! Just hit it and bounce off and just go the other way. They're just nuts. They're just crazy, man. Literally. Serious. I've watched these horses in a bucking chute flip over backwards on top of a cowboy. And guess what? They're, they're smashing that horse's own head into the metal uh, behind. They don't care. I've watched them flip over. They're crazy. They're crazy, man. But guess what? I guarantee if you ride rough stock events in the, in the rodeo world, it's not a matter of if you're going to get hurt. It's a matter of when and how bad. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to walk with Jesus, I want you to hear me. It's not a matter of if you're going to get hurt. It's a matter of when and how bad. What do you mean? People are going to persecute you. They're not going to like you. Not everybody's going to like you. Well, I won't be a disciple. Then okay, then live like the world and have, have, have the enemy as the one trying to help you out of what he's trying to put you in bondage to. He's not going to do that. But the Bible's clear. If you live godly, guess what you're going to suffer? Persecution. Persecution. So if you don't want to live a life of following Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus, guess what? Then you're obviously somebody who's not going to ever face that. But if you do want to, guess what you got to be willing to do? Suffer persecution. Suffer persecution. Who cares, man? If I get to walk like Jesus, I don't care what people say about me. Did you know who so-and-so is or what so-and-so is saying about you on social media? No. You want me to tell you? No. No, I'm like pastor. Don't care. Used to. Don't care anymore. Why? Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't have his disciples pulled aside and say, okay, boys, tell me what everybody's saying about me. He did ask who they say I am just so they could make sure he understood the revelation of who he was. He didn't say, so what did the Pharisees say about me today? He didn't care. He only cared about one person. What is God, what is God saying about me today? What does God want me to do today? Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. One, you got to have the desire. So for years, and I've taught you this in this church multiple times as a pastor, for years I taught on the following things I'm going to go over with you about how to be a disciple of Jesus. And I couldn't understand why so many weren't getting it. And you know what the Lord finally showed me? It took 20 years. You know what the Lord finally showed me after 20 years? He said, you're finding out many do not have the desire. Because if, the if they don't have the desire, son, I can't make a disciple out of them. Awful quiet. How many disciples did Jesus have out of thousands that he ministered to? Out of thousands that followed him? Out of thousands that he fed? Out of thousands, supernaturally by the way, out of thousands that he healed? How many disciples did he have? Does anybody know? Huh? Nope. He had more than that. He had 120 out of thousands. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know he had 120? Guess what a disciple does? What their master tells them. How do you know if you're a disciple? You do what the master tells you because you want to be like him. 
Any good amens? How do you know it's 120? How many were in the upper room when the, when the Holy Spirit fell? 120. What did Jesus tell everybody after being raised from the dead? Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. How many showed up? 120 out of thousands. That was Jesus. That was the Son of God. That was the miracle worker. That was the water walker. Come on, somebody. Are you listening? And you know what the Lord showed me? He said, you have made disciples. You're overlooking them. You're thinking you haven't because you haven't made everybody in your church a disciple. Guess what you found out, son? Not everybody wants to be one. And, and sadly, most don't. Most don't. So guess who I'm going to help with this message? Those who want to be and those who want to remain one. What do you got to have? The desire. The desire. I want to live like Jesus in every way possible. Praise God. So one, I got to have a desire to be what? Like Jesus. That's the key. I got to have a desire to be like him. Two, he said you got to do what? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. So if I have that desire, what must I do? The phrase deny yourself actually here means to disown. To disown. You have to disown what? Your own life. Your own life. Meaning what? You don't get your will. Jesus is an example. I've walked you through this many times. Did Jesus deny himself? Yes, he did. Where did he deny himself, folks? Garden of Gethsemane. Before he ever got to the cross. Where did he deny himself? Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he went in the garden? Three hours agonizing in prayer. That he actually sweat drops of blood. Meaning the pressure was so great it caused literal uh, blood vessels in his forehead to pop out through the, the, the actual uh, veins and blood flow out of his head. Which, by the way, was winning a victory for you. What was he doing in that garden? He knew he was going to have to be what? Now listen, a lot of people say crucified. Let me tell you one better. You know what he knew? I'm about to be separated from the Father. When you get to heaven, you'll understand what he went through in torment for three hours. Because to be in the fullness of the presence of God and then have to be removed from it? To not know it? I mean, you want to talk about a dark day. You want to talk, talk about a feeling of emptiness. What did he say on the cross right before he gave up his spirit? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? And he knew he had to. You listening? But even that aspect of that time of his life was so incredibly uh, crucial to him, he did not want to be separated from the presence of God. You know why? He'd never been. But he did it for you and me. Thank you, Jesus. Even knowing he'd come back from the dead. Yes. Are you still here? So listen, to deny yourself, to disown self, you ready? Means I don't get my will. What did Jesus say in that time of prayer in the garden? Father, not. He started off by saying, if there's, I'll just, I'll just simplify it for you. If there's any way other that I could do this, if I could accomplish what needs to be done to redeem mankind some other way, then being separated from your presence. But then he stopped and he caught himself and he said, but not my will, Father. Your will be done. What was he doing? Denying self. Guess what Jesus didn't want to do? Be separated from the Father. I guarantee you he wanted to die for you and pay the price for your sin. The Bible says so. He so loved you, he wanted to do it. That wasn't the issue. The issue was being separated from the Father, which was part of the plan. He didn't want that to happen. But guess what he did? He gave up his will for the Father. How many want to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, if he didn't get his will, why should you get yours? Thank you, Joshua. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's important to understand this because to deny self means I can't continue to live out my will. I got to know what the will of the Father is. I got to know what the will of God is for my life, both through the Bible as well as like this time of prayer. Can I get a better amen? Yeah. 
So the context of denying self is disowning self, or in other words, denying the old will. Number three, notice the next thing you said you got to do. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and do what? Take up your cross. Take up your cross. What is taking up your cross? So for years, I've, I've battled with this man and all my time spending so many hours and years and years praying. This is the, Mark, Matthew 16, 24 is the mainstay of our church because my goal since the day I became a pastor knowing those verses is I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to do everything I can to make disciples for Jesus. But I could not actually get a hold on. I heard so many different, you know, from commentary, so many different ideas of what it means to take up your cross. What does that mean, take up your cross? So Jesus simplified it for me. He said, look at me as an example. Just look at me. That's all you got to do. I'm the example. If you look at me, you'll figure it out. So I began to look at him, walking this out in his last days of his life. And that's when the Lord showed me. He denied himself not on the cross. He denied himself in the garden or he'd have never gone to the cross. Right? Taking up that cross, which you had to carry when you were going to be crucified, was literally required of you when you were being crucified, which simply in his case meant what? What was he doing by going to the cross? You ready? He was fulfilling the will of the Father. He denied self. He gave up his will. Number three, now you got to do what? Take up his will. To take up the cross means you take up God's plan for your life. What does he want for you? What does he want you to do? You need to know. I said, you need to know. God's got a plan. Yes, he does. I said, God's got a plan. Amen. But you need to know that plan. It's not enough I deny my will. I've got to know what the plan of the Father is. Jesus knew what that plan was. I got to go to that cross. I got to bear it. I got to go through it. Because if I don't, I won't fulfill the will of God. His whole reason for coming to this earth and being born was to go to that cross and die. That was the will of God for his life. So you taking up your cross means you do what? You carry out God's plan. You carry out what is God's will for your life. And obviously that can change over the years as you walk with God. Can I get a better amen? Do you know God has a specific place for you to work or has a specific job, has a specific business for you to run? He don't just want you just going and getting any kind of job just to get a paycheck. Do you know he has a place that he specifically wants you at? Assigned for you? How I many believe that? There's not a part of your life that God hasn't planned for you. What he desires for your life. But many never seek it. Many never reach it out. Uh, seek it out. Pray it out. Reach to God to find out what that is. Because they haven't given up their plan yet. They're still doing their own will. So third thing you got to do is do what? You got to take up God's plan. God's will for your life. And then last but not least. What did he say to do? Follow me. Follow me. So what does that mean to follow him? Number four. You ready? You ready? Become his companion. Become his daily companion. Because if you're following Jesus, guess who you're hanging out with every day? Come on, somebody. If you're following Jesus, guess who you're walking with every day? Jesus. Jesus. When he says, follow me, he means come and be with me every day. Walk with me every day. His disciples in that day had an opportunity to walk with him if they wanted to be his disciple. He even offered some that turned it down. Can you imagine? The rich young ruler. He turned it down. So all you got, give to the poor, come be with me. What, I'm not going to take care of you? And you can be my disciple. And he didn't do it. Dropped his head and walked away sorrowful. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, you got to understand these four things as it relates to walking out a disciple. Real quick, on reviewing today. Number one, you have to have that desire to be what? Like Jesus. If you don't have a desire to be like him, you'll never wind up walking out what a disciple can be like in relationship to Jesus. Two, you got to do what? Disown self, your will. You got to be willing to give up plans you made. I had a plan for my life. I thought it was a good one. 
I'm going to be a world champion bull rider. Even after I got born again, I'll be like Coy. I'll spread the gospel everywhere I go. But I'll be right. I used to tell people, I'll be riding bulls in my 60s. You watch. Because the Texas circuit has an old timers association. Boy, I'll be tearing them up in that old timers association when I turn 60. I'll tell you right now. But guess what? I gave up all that. I gave up all that. I got to the point in my life where I said, God, like Jesus, I don't want my will done. I've never sought out what your will is for me. I don't want mine, though, and I'm willing to lay down anything that you tell me to lay down. You're going to see this as we go through definitions of what the Bible calls a disciple. You've got to lay down your will. You've got to give up what you think might be, see, well, but I worked at this for a long time. I worked at becoming a professional bull rider for 16 years. I walked away in a day. Wasn't that a lot of wasted time? No, God taught me a lot of things through the process of that time. I promise you I learned a lot of stuff. But guess what? It was never God's will for my life. I said it was never God's will for my life. Awful quiet in this church this morning. I don't know what's got you so quiet this morning, but man, you're awful quiet. I have to disown my own will. Three, then I got to do what? Take up God's plan. I got to figure out, find out, learn from him. What's his plan for my life? What does he want me to do in relationship to all that I walk out? Because if I do that, guess what? I'm going to walk in what he already planned for me. I'm going to walk in what he has for me as a disciple of his. Amen? And then number four, to do all that, what do you got to become? You got to become his companion. Because you're not, you're not following Jesus if you're not walking with him every day. You listening? The follow there was literal. Literal. You want to be my disciple? then you got a desire to be like me. That's what he told them. Just sit right there. And after telling Peter what he told Peter, he turns to all his disciples and said, hey, you boys really want to be like me? You want to do what I do? Then guess what you got? You got to have a desire to do that. If you got a desire to do that, what do you need to do? You got to get rid of your will. Can't do your will and, be, and do what I'm doing. Amen. Listening? Yeah. And then you got to do what? Take up your cross. You got to walk out what's God's plan for your life. You know what his plan was for all those 12 disciples? They were going to give their lives totally to the gospel and wind up dying for him. Mm-hmm. Except for John. But, but they had to be willing to do what? To be able to submit to his will. And finally, last but not least, what do you have to do? Got to come be with me. Come on. If you want to be my disciple, what do you got to do? Hang out with me. God, come with me, hang out with me every day. Can't just come once in a while and disappear. He had people that said, hey, I want to be your disciple, but I need to go home and I need to bury my mom and dad. He said, let the dead bury the dead. He said, what what you need to understand is if you want to be my disciple, you come be with me. He wasn't putting down the death of people. By the way, scholars will tell you, his parents weren't dead yet. You know what he was saying? I need to go home, take care of my parents till they're gone, and then I'll come be with you. Jesus said, see ya. You don't understand how this works. Oh, yeah. Bible says you got to do what? You can't love father or mother. Doesn't mean you don't love them. You can't love them more than Jesus. Thank you for all your amens about that. This was a guy who wanted to walk with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, by the time you wind up bearing your parents, I'll be long gone. Your chance is over. You want to be a disciple? You come with me now. I, I went through major persecution as a young pastor because I did not go to a funeral for a family member. And I made it right with the person that actually uh, was the one that I was actually uh, honoring in that, in that service. Uh, the, it was a fan, uh, mom of theirs. And I made it right with them. But I had another family that tried to make it wrong. And during the funeral, well, why ain't he here? How come he's not here? I told him. I said, listen, the position I'm in right now as a pastor, I have nobody to, f- to fill the pulpit while I'm gone. I didn't. I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to God. I got to take care of my congregation. I can't just shut down church for a week and disappear. 
I can't do it. I don't have anybody else to put in the pulpit right now. This is a long time ago. So guess what? I'm sorry, but I can't be there. But you know what? They're not there either. They're not there. You listening? It was a grandma. She's not there. I'll tell you where she is. She's in heaven. I know. She knew Jesus. She's the one who helped me understand about Jesus. She's in heaven. Guess what? She ain't there. She ain't there. You can honor that body. You can honor that person's life. And it's, it's good. It's okay to do it. I'm not wrong in any way. But you're not going to see them. They're not there. They're in heaven. They're running on streets of gold. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. I got more flack over that for the next handful of years. But I didn't care. I obeyed God. See, if you're going to obey God, you're going to suffer persecution. Well, I'll finish preaching because y'all not real excited about my message so far, I can tell. Maybe you're more excited about dinner tonight since you've been fasting all day. That's all you can think about. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you can be a disciple? Yes. But you got to want it. That's right. What do you got to want? Be like him. That's right. Be like him. Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.